You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It is our post-game podcast edition number six on the season and for the sixth straight time and the 11th straight time going back to early November 2022. We are talking about a Penn State victory, 63 to nothing on homecoming over the UMass Minutemen and uh, limited UMass to 109 total yards. We saw uh, Penn State get two punt return touchdowns from an unlikely source, which set a school record twice in one game. That's never been done before. And then yet again, we saw a Drew handling his business, four total touchdowns, no turnovers on the day. A lot of bright spots to discuss in this matchup, which again, pushes Penn State to 6-0, extends that win streak to 11 matchups, and now sets the stage for an unbeaten Big Ten showdown next Saturday in Columbus. You're going to hear all about it on this podcast in the days ahead. And I know James Franklin took the approach of, hey, let's talk about and focus and enjoy this win a little bit tonight. We can do that here on the podcast too, but we'll probably toss a little Ohio State conversation into the tail end of this postgame edition. But Daniel, we wondered what this team would look like coming out of the bye week as a 42-point favorite, knowing what just lies ahead around the corner. Boy, did they show up prepared for the task and looking like they were very much motivated and invested in the 60 minutes of football. It, it took a little bit to get rolling, but once it got rolling, uh, there is really, really you know, no stopping Penn State. Uh, just the, the way that they looked out there um, and just how dominant they were uh, with their win over UMass. I mean, this is three times this year when you talk about the win over Delaware, the win over Iowa, and now this win over UMass, where you just see such a, a complete defensive performance, um, you know, a, a, an opposing offense that just looks lost, you know, is getting beat up up front and can just do nothing. Um, so, you know, I thought that, yeah, this is what you wanted to see from from Penn State. We knew that UMass was really bad um, uh, on both sides of the ball, uh, and they really, really took advantage of it. And you know, that's that's what you're supposed to do. And especially at this time of year, um, you know, getting the opportunity to play this kind of team coming out of the bye week with what's ahead. Um, you know, the, that first quarter got a little shaky, but once Daquan Hardy returned that first fumble for a touchdown, it was kind of like, oh, okay, like we got this, and it was it was on from there. You said return to fumble for a touchdown. It was a punt for a touchdown. And we're not used to it with Daquan Hardy, though. Yeah. I mean, that's the story within the story here. And let's just lead with it. Daquan Hardy, year number five. We know what he has been as a defender. He has been a guy they've leaned on throughout this year, even in that two-game absence to start the season. He's got two interceptions on the road in Big Ten play this year. And then he throws this our way. Two punt return touchdowns on the day. 
No one's returned more than two punt returns in an entire season in Nittany Lions history. He's done it on three career punt returns. We had not seen him return punts. We have seen him return kickoffs in a Nittany Lions uniform. This was an area of his game that really stood out during his high school career at Penn Hills when he helped lead that team to a championship run. Uh, his, his senior season, the way he finished out there, uh, and we hear it all the time from Terry Smith and James Franklin when they reflect on the Daquan Hardy journey, he was probably headed to Buffalo uh, or, or a MAC program if – Penn State doesn't put out this late offer, you know, right before signing day in 2019. And a big part of that was the state championship game where he scored touchdowns as a return man, a punt returner, uh, as a defensive player in that matchup and helped them seal the deal in a championship showdown. Now here he is getting that opportunity. And I know we have people wondering, well, why haven't, why hasn't been Penn State been utilizing him uh, in this way for years? Tell you what, it was exciting to see that four three two speed, which you know no one outranks that on this Penn State roster, was on display. But just so was that ability to, to find some space, and, and he did it twice. And this is one of the more surreal happenings I think I've seen covering Penn State. Yeah, I think when you look at the two punt returns, I thought the first one was just a really good example of, of following your blocks and um, you know finding daylight and being sort of shifty. Uh, and then getting up to the sideline and going. But that second one, like you saw that 4-3-2 speed. I mean, he just ran away from everyone. Um, and that was really, really impressive. You know, as to why he finally got his shot, uh, we, we heard from James Franklin after the game. And, you know, we saw Caden Saunders in that spot uh, through the early part of the season. And, um, you know, James Franklin said that there'd been a competition between Saunders and Hardy. Uh, the The catch percentage was pretty similar, he said, during practice. And, you know, I think that he had liked what he'd seen uh, from Saunders through the early part of the year. I mean, we'd only heard good things because, you know, job number one is to catch the ball. Uh, and Caden Saunders was doing that for the most part. Um, but James Franklin said that they want to be a more explosive team uh, in all areas. You know, we've mostly talked about that on offense, but, you know, that extends to special teams as well. So, you know, uh, I think Caden Saunders let that first one bounce. Uh, it probably should have been downed inside the five, but a UMass player slid onto it and into the end zone. So it came out to the 20 or 25 or wherever. And then the second uh, second punt, we see Daquan Hardy back there. And then it's just gets a bunch of really nice blocks. Uh, Keon Wiley, Malik McLean, Cam Miller, uh, Zachy Wheatley uh, were, were all out there. Dom DeLuca, obviously. Um, and then he was just gone. So. You know, it's just it's really cool to see, um, you know, special teams. It's really fleeting, uh, especially in this era um, of, of seeing these types of plays. I mean, I think back to uh, when I was covering Maryland, I saw Will Likely in 2015 break Niall Kinnick's record for punt return yardage in a game. Uh, and that was abs an absurd thing to see. So, you know, these types of things don't come around very often. Uh, so you really have to enjoy it when you get that chance. It's just so out of left field. I mean, we, we know Daquan Hardy has been a factor as a potential return man, but to see it surface like this in, in such historic fashioning, and this has never happened in Penn State history, which is a long history where a guy goes with two twice uh, in, in one game uh, with for a punt return. We had to go back to Jahan Dotson at the end of that pandemic shortened 2020 season against Michigan State for the last punt return touchdown uh, for the Nittany Lions. And this is an incredible stat. Only 25 players this century since 2000 have multiple punt returns in a game. Daquan Hardy is one of them. 
And he spent four years playing college football, plus another half of a season, essentially, not returning a single punt. So James Franklin says something interesting. While he tipped his cap to Caden Saunders, who had a 37-yard punt return, he, he almost sprung one himself tonight. James Franklin says he thinks this changes how programs are going to prepare for Penn State because when you've got a guy flashing in this way, reaching the end zone twice, and you've got a unit helping him do that, it's just going to keep special teams coordinators up at night. And and we knew that the two phases that Penn State brought to the field have plenty of playmakers, but this is a really interesting dynamic. And even if Daquan Hardy can't duplicate the success, and I don't know how he possibly could, it still sends a huge kind of shockwave, I think, through the six remaining teams on this schedule because you're saying, whoa, okay, well, all of a sudden this is a problem. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about Penn State uh, unveiling some new wrinkles on offense or showing some different things to you know give these defensive coordinators uh, in the back half of the season something to think about. I don't really think that we thought that this would come from special teams. Um, but I think when you're at this part, this point in the season, um, and you talk about some of the matchups that they have coming up, up, I mean, you need to get points however you can. You need to put yourself in position to get points however you can. You know, I think we talk about it a lot when it comes to the kicking game um, and, you know, having a missed field goal or missed extra points cost you. Um, whereas this is kind of the flip side where the return game can can win you games. Um, I thought that uh, uh, Mark Brennan texted us a really good stat, too. Um, mm -hmm. after the game tonight where last year Penn State only had, I think, 105 punt return yards the whole season. I mean, Daquan Hardy. ridiculous. Thing. Yeah, Daquan Hardy had 129 uh, tonight. I mean, even Caden Saunders, he had 43. You know, that's, that's almost half. Um, you know, Parker Washington, you know, was a very good college player, a very consistent wide receiver and did a lot of good things, but – you know, that punt return game last year was just non-existent. You know, that was pretty much like, all right, catch the ball and then we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having this spark and, you know, I think that you can look at the fact that they were still rotating in Caden Saunders, uh, even after Daquan Hardy had that first touchdown. I think that that is something that bodes well too, in terms of keeping two guys engaged. And, you know, we saw Saunders, you know, try to break that one, like you mentioned. And so, you know, maybe this is something that can raise both of their levels. Um, you know, comp you know, James Franklin loves to talk about competition uh, as something that can elevate his team. So I, I maybe we'll see that there. But, you know, I think that this is just an another weapon, um, you know, something that can really change a game, something that can you know, really, really put opposing defenses uh, on their heels. And, you know, maybe some of these games uh, that maybe in the past would get decided through the punting game, through field position, Daquan Hardy, you know, and Caden Saunders can both flip that a little bit. I don't know where the, the UMass special team situation goes from here. It was a rough night for them. I believe Dom DeLuca was credited uh, for, for a punt block as well. You, you, it just was not a good night for them. Um, and and I don't know, you know exactly how much of that you, you fault to, to them not being prepared for the moment. But you got to give Daquan Hardy in this return group a lot of credit. And we have talked about special teams in, in terms of X factor for this 2023 Penn State squad in the negative light for a mm -hmm. while and saying, hey, if you get in a close one possession game against the Ohio States and Michigans of the world or in a postseason matchup, you know, this could swing the pendulum. And if you're thinking, which way is it going to go for special teams for the first five weeks, you're saying probably going to be negative just because we didn't have the negative, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt there. Um, a good night tonight, though. The one time we saw Riley Thompson out there, he, he uh, dropped the punt inside the 20. They didn't need to use him much. 
Obviously, we saw a ton of UMass punter, and that ended up being almost three return touchdowns. Caden Saunders, as I said, was close to springing one. And, and so uh, and even Sanders Sahedak uh, get, gets gets a chance to go out there and feel good about himself. He had a few opportunities on extra points, uh, backing up Alex Falcons. We haven't seen him much since he lost that position at place kicker in, in week one. So it's it's kind of odd to start a post game show discussing special teams. It's usually like a, a, a note, a bullet point at the very end of these podcasts. Mm-hmm. But hello, Daquan Hardy. We we already knew. You know, Terry Smith will, will tell everybody that he's going to be an NFL player and he's going to be an NFL draft pick. And I know that the, the his size is always going to be a question mark. But he comes back after those two missing games and picks up an interception on the road at Illinois. Gets another interception against Northwestern. Continues to play lockdown defense today on, on on a night when an afternoon when they hold the opponent under 40 passing yards. And then, oh, by the way, uh, steals the show as the player of the game here. So something really exciting to monitor moving forward that we just didn't necessarily think would be on our radar or on the postgame podcast script. Now, something we did come to expect here through the first month of the season, and it just carries over into this matchup against UMass, is defensive dominance. It's for the last five games now, Daniel where the opponent fails to get to 200 total yards. Massachusetts today, 109 total yards. A lot of those came late in the contest, but to the credit of those backups and a lot of freshmen on the field, once again, stood strong, just like they did against Iowa. We're able to preserve that shutout. There's been times in the past, and I know James Franklin has lamented about it, where when they've turned to some of their backups and freshmen in blast situations, it's gotten sloppy towards the tail end. That's a little bit different about this team right now. The depth, as we've discussed, just feels a bit more prepared for these opportunities. And look, the, the, the era of facing UMasses in Delaware has come to a close here, folks, on the schedule. But as I said for Penn State, if you wanted them to be tested going against Ohio State, then that means you wanted to pick one of these six games and have them suffer a scare and, and be on upset alert. To their credit, they avoided that. And today, I mean, they just buried UMass and James Franklin said it after the game and he said it back on Tuesday they felt like this UMass team had the most explosive ability and and based on what they had done and based on the data points to this stage of the season uh and I think they had a 16 yard reception and a 10 yard reception in the first half and yet they got to halftime 26 total yards on 25 plays now, again, tip your cap to Manny Diaz. It's a week-by-week process. You don't bring out the same plan each week. You're facing a different quarterback and a different talent level each week, and that takes a major upgrade against Ohio State. But they've got back-to-back shutouts in Beaver Stadium, man. They have not given up a point since September 9th on home turf to, to the Delaware Blue Hens. So, I mean, <laughs> this is a real trend at this stage in terms of elite-level play down the depth chart even. Yeah, the that was the the sign early on where you know you see those first two offensive series is where Harrison Wallace loses the fumble uh, in UMass territory, then they have to punt, um, and you're kind of like, ooh, like is this gonna be like uh, it's gonna be a slog? Like is this like is this gonna get scary at all? But then you saw what the defense did uh, on their first two series against UMass, and it was just kind of like. Oh, okay. Like it's going to be fine. You know, the way that that defense was playing, um, you know, the sacks, the tackles for loss, just living in the backfield. Isn't Um, that what it felt like at Northwestern? I mean, you were there in Evanston, but even as the the offense was kind of meandering its way and then missing opportunities, it's like, well, the defense has, has your back and, and the defense is just not going to go home with the loss. 
And, and it just kind of – not that we thought a loss was on the table today, but like to your point, a little bit of uh, some some you know, stumbling out of the gates on one side of the football, and you're just like, well, that's right. Not the, This is an elite-level defense. Yeah, it's like the – the talent gap and just the the skill gap and the coaching gap uh, was just so apparent um, in the way that those that this went. I mean, I think that the one play that really stands out to me was Cam Miller, who had his first two career sacks today. Um, you know, one of his sacks, he was just lined up over the left tackle and just beat him. You know, like just got off the line quick. You know, ducked under him a little bit and then was at the quarterback. I mean, you know, I think that kind of showed the the gap that we were working with today. Um, obviously that's not going to be the same moving forward uh, given where, I mean, even where like Rutgers and Indiana are compared to UMass. Um, but I think that, you know, this was just another very, very solid performance. They're stout up front. You've got guys flying around the second level, um, you know, guys making plays in the secondary. Like one other thing with Daquan Hardy is that, he's tied for the team lead right now with three pass breakups. And so you, you look at what he's done in a short time. He leads the team in interceptions is tied for the team lead and pass breakups. And he didn't play in two games this year. Um, so he's someone else who has just really, really shown up. I mean, he made a really nice play on, on a third down uh, on the sideline to break up a pass. So, yeah, I, I think that you look at what they're doing and it's all, it's all clicking and it's all fitting together. Uh, very nicely too, where you, know, you see the, you know, up front, you know, they're getting pressure that's forcing bad throws. Um, and then on the back end, if, you know, there is a clean, the rare clean pocket, you know, you see guys like Hardy and Kalen King, Cam Miller, Johnny Dixon uh, making plays. So, you know, I think that this defense is just in a, a really, really good spot. Um, I mean, it's really hard to, to look past what is looming next week, no matter how injured some of those skill position players are. Um, and I think that it's going to be a, a marquee matchup um, next week. We might not necessarily get the the one-on-one matchups that, you know, we thought we were going to get last year with Joey Porter Jr., Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, you know, we might not get like Kalen King versus Marvin Harrison Jr., given how, how the game goes. But I think that overall, it's going to be a very, very fun heavyweight fight on that side of the ball. And this should be a very well-rested Penn State defense. We talked about that all season long. I think through the first four games, James Franklin said they, they had shaved off about 80 total game snaps, uh, You know, more, more than a game's worth, really, uh, compared to where they were last year because of their ability uh, to get these lopsided scores. The ball control offense, as much as we've been talking about the lack of explosive plays, this offense just really doesn't leave the field. And, and so that's helping out the defense. And once again, it's a fourth quarter where you've got the the King Max, Elliot Washingtons, and Tony Rojas's of the world out there getting the reps, and it'll be fun to break down the snap distribution. We'll have our, our VIP snap counts piece of it, Lions247.com on Sunday. Another one of those games, kind of like Delaware a, a month ago, where they really emptied things out over the course of this matchup and, and able to really still play high-quality football over the course of this thing. You talked about the pressure that Penn State has been able to apply and really not letting these defensive backs get tested that much. They've got some interesting streaks going at this point. 14 TFLs today, 14 tackles for loss. They've now got 15 consecutive games where they've got at least five tackles for loss. That's the second best in the country. And then seven sacks today, Daniel. Uh, They've got 11 consecutive games now with at least three of those, also second best in college football. And 
Manny Diaz is dialing a lot up right now, and, and we knew he would benefit from the return of some of those veterans who stuck around to, to have a second season with him. Adiza Isaac was one of the bigger headliners of, of guys who we thought may or may not stick around for year five. He did. He's going to benefit from this because he has really looked like a different player here. Now, you know, very far removed from the Achilles injury that was still impacting him throughout much of the 2022 year. Here he is, two and a half sacks, Daniel. I think that doubled his season total. Your bold prediction for the second half was that Penn State was going to get a 10-sack player, which they have not done in some time. He took a big step forward in that department today. Adisa Isaac may, might make me look really, really smart, so I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But you, know, you talk about those uh, that streak of having at least three sacks. You know, that's an 11-game streak. Penn State's on an 11-game winning streak overall. Yep. Um, so you can really, you know, causation isn't correlation or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, I think that that's a key to, to winning football games is harassing the opposing quarterback. Three-plus sacks, 30-plus points. I mean, you put those two together, and they've done that every single time. Yeah, it, it works out well. It's a very, very good combination. Um, but, you know, this defensive front is just very fun to watch. I mean, you know, Adisa Isaac really is – um, you know, at another level, um, you know, we talked about coming into this year where, you know, Chop Robinson was popping up in the first round of, of all those mock drafts and, you know, deservedly so, you know, given his skills, how he projects to the next level, et cetera. Um, but I'm going to be really interested to see, you know, as we go through the stretch, um, you know, and we get into kind of the, the final month of the season, you know, which guys start popping up uh, on the NFL draft radar. You know, I think it was probably, you know, around this time last year, you know, a little bit later on where Olu Fashionu started popping up as a really high level prospect from, you know, draft evaluators. Um, and I think Adisa Isaac is someone who we could see, you know, pop up to, um, you know, maybe not to the same level as Olu, obviously, but I think he's someone that we'll hear about. I mean, I think, you know, he looks confident, he looks strong um, and then just, you know, talking to him, I didn't talk to him after the game, but I listened to some of your audio um, and just listening to him talk. I mean, he sounds like someone who is very in control, very confident. Um, you know, we know he's a team captain. Uh, so he's one of those voices on the team, especially internally. Um, and I think that you can really, really tell that he's kind of come into his own as a complete player. When you talk about the on-field stuff and the locker room stuff, and that's a really, really good combination for Penn State. And I think that they're, you know, very fortunate to have someone of his caliber because he just allows them to do so much stuff. We were talking about that early defensive dominance. And of course, it was all night long, but just as a good sign when the offense was kind of you know, finding its way um, and you had a turnover. Adiza Isaac and Denai Dennis Sutton teamed up for that first sack, and then he added two more of his own. He had three and a half tackles for loss on the day, and now through six matchups. And I just want to remind everybody, keep in mind with stats this year with Penn State, pretty much all the starters we're talking about, you're docking a quarter off their stats every game. I, I know you want to look at rushing totals. Nick Singleton and Catron Allen aren't playing in the fourth quarter. You want to look at Drew Aller's stats. He's probably thrown a, a dozen of passes in the fourth quarter all season long. And I think you can apply that to guys like Adiza Isaac, and he's still at five sacks. That's a career high. And, you know, when you double it in one night, it's going to inflate things a bit, but that's more sacks than he's ever gotten in any season. 
and seven and a half tackles for loss last year was his career high with 11 tackles for loss. So Adiza Isaac making himself look like a smart man for, for investing in this year on, on a college campus because of the pandemic, because of his injury, because of his injury recovery. This was the first time he had a full offseason here to just live, breathe and get better at football instead of having to focus on, on, on physical ailments and all that stuff. And I think we're seeing that with his game. I know. Meanwhile, chop Robinson, who, who, who you know, the, the, we're getting to see these guys all in the field together. It's working so well. I mentioned denied Dennis Sutton getting that, that piece of a sack, but you had Robinson getting two sacks uh, on the day and, and he just continues uh, to just flash that, that, that elite level twitchiness. And I know it's going to really show up against a team like UMass, but to me, he is that kind of – he could push this team over the edge. I mean, what we're talking about late in games when they do have to get after the quarterback and, and everyone's on the field and it's all hands on deck at five minutes or less in the matchup, which we haven't seen from anybody on this roster yet, he may be the guy in this defense that you circle and say because of his ability to beat just about any offensive tackle in a one-on-one -on -one setting that they have on the schedule, you're going to have to provide assistance for him offensively, and if you don't, he could be the one that strip sacks the quarterback and turns the tide of a game or seals the matchup for Penn State. I'm telling you, he has that kind of a, a closer uh, makeup, I think, on this defensive side of the football when they finally need a closer to show up. We saw that in his first game at Purdue where he had the – That's right. He, he hit Aiden O'Connell uh, as, as time expired. But uh, watching Chop Robinson play, I mean, he's, he's probably one of those pass rushers where you could call holding, you know, you know, maybe, right. you know, eight, eight plays out of 10, uh, the way that he treats some of these, uh, opposing offensive tackles. Um, but, you know, I think having a player like him, um, who has that speed, who has that twitch, uh, opposite Adisa Isaac, I think that it just makes for, you know, such a dangerous combination and, you know, that prowler package with him rushing from the interior, you know, that is the third down package now. Um, you know, since they debuted that against Iowa, I mean, they have not gone away from it on, you know, third and more than, you know, I don't know, five or six. Um, so putting him out there, you know, letting him, you know, go against some, some of those interior offensive linemen, I think has also benefit benefited him as well, because when he's coming up the middle, I mean, it just makes it impossible to create a pocket, uh, for, for a quarterback. So you know, I think that I agree with you that Chop Robinson is the type of player who is going to show up in a big spot. You know, when you need that strip sack at the end of a game, when you need someone to hit the quarterback um, to you know maybe knock someone out of field goal range or something like that. You know, turn a touchdown, you know, turn a potential you know fourth and goal from that's short into a field goal. You know, I think that he is that that type of player, and I think that he's going to be the type of guy that when the lights are on, he's really going to show up. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For a while, I think a lot of this offseason, we were talking about Johnny Dixon as being the under-the-radar guy on defense. No, you're not going to get to his name when you list off the standouts on that side of the ball. Are we getting into that 
territory with Cam Miller. That's kind of where I'm wondering now. I mean, he has maintained his role as a steady defensive presence, even with the return of Daquan Hardy after that two-game absence. We have seen Hardy play some on the perimeter outside at cornerback more than we've seen. A lot of his role leading up to 2023 has been in that slot. But as James Franklin alluded to in his press conference, they're feeling really confident in his ability as a well-rounded defensive back. But again, Cam Miller hasn't really been bumped to the sideline all that much saying his role two sacks today man they had three guys with multiple sacks you wouldn't really have anticipated uh, the slender cornerback to be among them but we've seen him pop up all year long uh coaches and teammates have called him among the most prepared players on the roster here as a sophomore now uh, he's a guy who made a big jump in our rankings and in, in talent competition as a senior uh and uh, down in florida and thus far he has proven the Penn State staff very smart uh, for putting all that effort into bringing him up here to Happy Valley. He's had a nice little run of firsts where he had his first interception at Illinois a couple weeks ago, gets his first sack today. Um, I think last year he had one tackle for loss. Uh, so to really you know add on to that, uh, I think is something that you know is only going to be good for him. You know, I think that the one thing that we've seen from Terry Smith, um, you know, these past couple of years is that. You know, if you can play, he's going to put you out there, even if it's in a big spot. You know, I think that the, you know, the one play that stands out to me is, you know, Kalen King as a true freshman being out there um, on that play against Michigan that went for the long touchdown, you know, where it was a crucial point in the game and they're going to trust, trust their guys uh, to be out there. And so, you know, we saw it last year with Miller a little bit, the way that he would rotate in, but now we're seeing it even more. And when you talk about that third down package, He's one of the outside corners on in it. You know, when Daquan Hardy came back, that didn't bump Johnny Dixon back to the outside uh, in place of Cam Miller. You know, they kept Cam Miller out there. Um, you know, they want to play him. You know, I thought that seeing him blitz today was a little new. I don't really think we'd seen much of that. Um, I think most of the blitzing that we'd seen was the slot corners, uh, you know, Dixon or, or Hardy. I think on the I'd have to go back and look at it, but I think on the one uh, uh, the one sack, it was just a normal 4-3 defense. They're out there in the base, and then he bumped over and, and blitzed. It was, I think, something new, uh, a little bit different. So, yeah, I, I think that they just have so many of these defensive backs, and I think the fact that you talk about Terry Smith and Anthony Poindexter, they've got all these guys to buy in. All these guys know they're going to get playing time. Uh, I think that they know they have to earn their playing time. And I think that that just fosters a, a really, really good environment um, in that room. And when you talk about Cam Miller getting to play opposite Kalen King and Johnny Dixon, you know, two guys, especially Kalen King, who are known quantities, you know, that is going to give him a lot more opportunities to, to make plays. Again, this unit seems to be in a very good spot. The momentum's on their side. Health is on their side. Uh, and Keaton Ellis, by the way, almost tacked on another <laughs> non-offensive touchdown today. It would have been a touchdown, but there was a penalty on the return. It did give Penn State possession. Once again, a matchup where Penn State seemed to be living uh, on the other side of the field offensively. It just was a, a lopsided affair in terms of uh, of, of uh, possession. Uh, you look at these drives, 13 of them for, for UMass, average start position, 26-yard line. Uh, Penn State, their average start position – was their own 38. And, and that's been a common theme this year where Penn State against inferior opponents is just pouncing on the ball almost near midfield with consistency. And today, six consecutive Penn State possessions 
resulted in touchdowns. Uh, we got to give a lot of love to what the defense did. Uh, Daquan Hardy, before all those touchdowns and, and during all those touchdowns, had his two punt return scores. But this offense, regardless of where they were handed the football, they just kept getting to the end zone. And it wasn't eight-minute drives this time. Each of these drives required less than four minutes of game clock, but you had eight plays, seven plays, seven plays, five, eight, four, and five, and all of a sudden it's 63 to nothing. What did you make of the offensive performance today? I, I thought that that once it got going, uh, it was, you know, I think what we thought we would see, um, you know, that first quarter really was a little touch and go. Um, you know, I mean, the, the Harrison Wallace fumble was – I think just a really good play by that defender to get his hand on the ball uh, and really rip it out. Um, and then old friend Tyler Rudolph was there to, to snap, snatch it up. Um, but, you know, overall, I just felt like, you know, this offense, it, it looked more like we would expect it to. You know, we saw them look at those deep shots. I mean, they went play action on the, the first play of the game. And I, I think that that just kind of, you know, ep epitomizes, you know, the this offense with Drew Aller as the quarterback. You know, they have that shot play um, on the first play of the game. It's play action. And, you know, Drew Aller is looking downfield, you know, scrambles a little bit to, you know, maybe make something happen and then just you know, throws the ball away. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what this quarterback is. You know, he's not going to make a dumb decision, um, even if, you know, given all the conversation this week, they probably really wanted to hit that play. Um, and so, you know, to see Drew Aller, you know, kind of go through his progressions and, you know, come to that conclusion, it's just kind of a, just a really good example of, of what they have in their passing game. And then we saw him make some other really good decisions, uh, over the course of the day. So, you know, I think that there's a couple positives to take away from the offense. I mean, you know, we saw the running game, um, you know, kind of look a little bit more like we thought it would, um, you know, you've got, uh, Nick Singleton averaging, you know, 5.3 yards per carry. Katron Allen averaging 7.6 yards per carry. I know that they were going up against an epically bad run defense, but that's kind of what we needed to see out of them. You know, we saw some wiggle out of Nick Singleton. Um, you know, Katron Allen is just running over guys. I think that that was really a number one positive to take away from it. And then the other positive that I think really stands out, and I'll try to write about it in these next couple of days is, we got a vintage Theo Johnson performance, you know, four mm -hmm. catches, 66 yards, two touchdowns. Um, you know, he came in averaging eight yards per catch, uh, which was, you know, eight yards less, you know, pretty much half as much as he averaged a year ago. Um, so I think that this was a little bit more the, the player that we thought we were going to see this year. He had the 30 yard catch on the seam, uh, seam route, which we saw, you know, another thing that we saw last year. Um, so you know, I think to see, get him going, uh, at this point, you know, I think that gives you another weapon. Um, you know, James Franklin has talked about where, you know, in the pecking order, you know, if the the tight end is better than the number two or number three wide receiver, you know, they're going to get the ball. Um, and to have Theo Johnson be able to produce like that alongside Tyler Warren, who had another touchdown, um, I think that's mm -hmm. really, really good for Penn State. Yeah, Theo Johnson, five, or I'm sorry, Tyler Warren, five touchdowns now on the season. He had four touchdowns in 27 career games coming into this year. And, of course, he came to campus uh, the same year as Theo Johnson, and those two have been attached to the hip. They're close friends. Theo Johnson has worked his way to a team captaincy, and, and the question has been, is, is he going to be due for that second-out breakout? 
just like he performed last year. I think he had only 19 receiving yards through the first half of the season last year. So ahead of the curve in that regard. But there was a concerted effort today. I mean, five targets. He turned those into four catches for 66 yards, as you referenced. Uh, a lot of those after the catch, too. That's a big thing with Theo Johnson's game. We haven't really seen a bunch of this point in the season. You know, eight yards average uh, th through the first half, through the first five games. So curious to see where it goes from here at, at a tight end position. The other guy that we saw them really feeding the ball to and, and initially it led to a fumble, which was the first turnover for Penn State's offense on the season. Uh, but Harrison Wallace, you know, he's back out there. They they wanted to get him involved. I think all of us agreed on the pregame podcast Thursday that it was important if he's going to be out there to, to make him comfortable again, get that rotation going again and, and get your wide receiver group some confidence before this Ohio State matchup. And at large, I don't know what your wide receiver group necessarily gained from this game, but I think Harrison Wallace had to gain something. After that fumble, which was an 11-yard gain, he shook that off. He finished with – actually, he didn't quite shake it off. He had he had a, a, a catchable pass go off of his hands. So I, I turned to you in the press box. I was like a little bit of a kind of a, a bumpy return for, for Harrison Wallace. But then he settled in. He had three catches for 44 yards by the end of it. He had a 21-yard grab. And I just think it's very clear that he's just prepared to bring something to this Penn State offense that for whatever reason – Wide receivers not named Keandre Lambert-Smith just aren't bringing to the field right now. I thought Harrison Wallace you know, looked good. You know, outside of that that fumble and that that drop, you know, the ball going off his hands. Um, you know, even though he fumbled on that play, it was initially a nice catch. You know, where he got inside his defender. You know, it would have moved the chains. You know, he's in that role that we talked about from those first two first two games where. You know, Drew Aller looked at, to him when they wanted to, you know, get a first down, move the chains. So, you know, I thought getting him back, you know, he wasn't listed on the injury or the status report coming in. You know, he'd been questionable the past couple of weeks and and wasn't. Um, so he was a full go, uh, and I think that we saw that. And you know, I think that it's you know only gonna you know you know boost this Penn State offense. Like you know, if you can have Harrison Wallace, you know, add him back to the mix like you had earlier and you get someone like Theo Johnson to step up uh, and be more of what we thought he would be. And then you have Tyler Warren being super reliable. I mean, I think that that is just, that puts Penn State um, in a really, really good spot um, offensively. And so, you know, I thought it was good to see Wallace, you know, get the ball in his hands, make a couple moves. You know, I thought he looked really fluid, looked like he belonged out there. Um, you know, I don't think that he looked injured or didn't look a hundred percent, you know, based on where we were sitting in the press box. So, you know, I think that that uh, is something to, you know, kind of hang your hat on and move forward. But you know, one more note on, on Theo Johnson, you mentioned him making the plays uh, with the ball in his hands, uh, after the catch, you know, talking to him after the game, he said that, um, in their scouting that they found that, you know, they could get the ball to the tight ends in the flat. Um, that that was a, a vulnerability in the UMass defense. And, you know, I asked him about that. Well, you know, do you like having the ball, you know, in your hands and getting ahead of steam going upfield? And, you know, he kind of got that look in his eye and, and started to smile a little bit um, that, you know, it's something that that he really, really likes to do. Um, you know, we saw him go up and over uh, for the for the touchdown and he got asked about that. And he's he said that the first thing he thought of when he did it was Brenton Strange doing that against Northwestern last year also in the rain. Um, so, you know, I think that that's another thing too, that you know, I think bodes well for Theo Johnson, that it's not just like that downfield seam. Um, it's that they're going to, they want to get him into space to make things happen. 
six foot six, 260 pounds, one of the faster tight ends that they've had here in the James Franklin era. There's a lot to like about it, and we haven't seen it really come to fruition from a statistical standpoint through the first half of this season, but we saw it in a big way tonight, and and maybe it's a harbinger of things to come, and that could be big for this offense because, uh, again, wide receiver was still figuring it out. Omari Evans didn't see him really get much involvement until later in the game. Uh, it's been a, a peculiar season for him thus far, still just one catch on the year. Uh, and then uh, Malik McLean remains kind of a non-factor. Uh, we we, had, we saw uh, Malik Mega off the injury report today, but but not factoring in on offense. And um, so, so Dante Cephas was probably the, the most used, and I, I'm curious to see what the what the drop off in snap count was because I think it's going to be Keandre Lambert Smith at one. Uh, Harrison Wallace at two, and then a very big divide between the rest of them, which, let's face it, that's what we've heard about the wide receiver group since the first week of spring ball, feels like. Uh, and, and thus far, that has been the case. Good to see Harrison Wallace back. Good to see Katron Allen, uh, Allen back. You know, motivated man tonight with Katron <laughs> Allen. When he got the ball, he was doing things with it. Uh, only 10 touches on the day uh, for, K for Katron Allen, uh, but he got 76 yards out of those. He did get a touchdown. He had an 18-yard gain. And going back to Singleton really quick, 15, uh, 15 carries, 79 yards. You, you like that 5.3 average. 10 was his long. So it was a lot of sevens, an occasional eight, a few fours. You know, uh, that that's how it was working for Nick Singleton tonight. So that's what it is. And then uh, halfway through the season, Tank Smith, longest run of the year for Penn State. Who would have thunk it? 39 yards uh, on the season so far. That's the longest run he produced that tonight. Bo Perbula, by the way. Daniel, I mentioned we have not seen much of Drew Aller in the fourth quarter. We've seen a lot of Bo Perbula. He's now has four total touchdowns in these fourth quarters. He's got about 190, 200 rushing yards in these fourth quarters as well. I said one thing I felt like you wanted to come out of this game was just more film evidence to throw at Big Ten opposing defensive coordinators. Before we finish up here and wrap up a little bit more on Drew Aller in this offensive line, what do you think they accomplished with all the work that went to Perbula? For as much as we can talk about all the work that, that Aller hasn't had to take on in these fourth quarters, it means that they have as seasoned of a backup in mid-October as I think they've ever had uh, under James Franklin. Yeah, I, I think it's twofold where that that experience part is, you know, very, very good. And, you know, God forbid if he has to take a snap when the game is in the balance uh, at the horseshoe next week, it doesn't mm. seem like things are going to fall apart. Um, I think that that's one of the the big takeaways coming out of this. But I think one of the other ones is that he is a really, really good runner. You know, he got loose for that 31 yard touchdown. That was right after that, that big tank Smith uh, run. And, you know, he, he doesn't go down easily. You know, he can run through contact. Um, and I think that we're getting closer and closer to, you know, seeing him as a change of pace or, you know, gadget player or something along those lines. Um, you know, we it's been teased here and there, you know, from James Franklin. Um, you know, when are we actually going to see it? Maybe next week. Who knows? Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I was talking to another writer and he said that, you know, he's not going to write about it until he actually sees it and, and knows that that it's real. Um, and I'm kind of, I, I wonder if that writer covered Tommy Stevens in the lion era. I don't know because <laughs> it does. It's it's, but I, by the way, next week is when you say it could happen. Cause like now this is when you pull out the drag. Any of this stuff is on the table now, including mm -hmm. Perbula being involved on the second series of the game or at the goal line. 
all the stuff that you think Penn State maybe was going to think about. You know, Cam Wallace, we've talked about him, uh, a fun freshman, got a lot of speed, haven't seen him on the field yet. Does he pop up? This trip to Columbus, and, and here we are talking about the next game already, <laughs> this is when I think you start to say, all right, it's start to, to, to put some of those cards on the table and see what Penn State's got in terms of, of, of trickeration, as they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you empty the bag of tricks uh, in, in this sort of game. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, having Prevula, though, you know, get this experience. I know that there's a, a segment of, you know, people that would maybe like to watch him throw a little bit more. Um, you know, but I do think that, you know, for as much as I've talked about, you know, you want to see him and, you know, in the, the real offense that, you know, is similar to what Aller runs, you know, their, their normal structure. I think we all know that if, you know, if Bo Previla has to play in the normal game flow that they're not going to air it out just because, you know, that's not the type of, of quarterback that he is. But, you know, I think getting him out there while they still have some of those first team offensive linemen out there, um, you know, while they still have some of the, the better, you know, the top skilled position players. And I mean, I think that this is really the only thing that, uh, you know, that can help, you know, going forward. Let's start. Let's talk about QB one, because he is going to be in a different level of spotlight this week, leading up to his return home. He was Mr. Ohio football, his senior year of high school, and now taking on the Buckeyes in a top 10 showdown between Penn state and Ohio state. And Look, he's he's at about a 73% completion rating in Beaver Stadium this year uh, through the home games. He has 12 touchdowns here in Beaver Stadium, no turnovers. On the road, two total touchdowns, 50%-ish uh, completion rating. And, and so you're going to need to see some improvements from that passing game. It's, it just has not traveled well to this point in terms of being on the same page with receivers. You haven't had Harrison Wallace on the road thus far. So maybe that changes some things, but six game sample size for drew Aller, the guys at 13 total touchdowns. I think the numbers that he had four total touchdowns today, 11 through the, uh, I think it's 10 through the air. Now three on the ground. He's proven that he's a guy who can, can move a little bit and they're going to push him into the end zone when they get opportunities to do it. <laughs> Daniel, we have not seen this guy have to sweat it out yet and, and lead this team uh, to, from the brink of a loss and maybe that happens this Saturday and we'll get a chance to really learn. But James Franklin called it ideal. And he said the word ideal three or four times when describing <laughs> I think it was more than that. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't a very long answer. Mark Brennan asked him, you know, what has Drew Aller gained from these six games and what will it mean for him moving forward? I think we all have gained an appreciation for his ball security. Penn State now has been tagged with three turnovers in the last couple of games, but two of them are on special teams. And then one of them is Harrison Wallace's fumble. And you've got this guy who's now played in 16 college football games now, six of them as a starting quarterback. And the ball that he has handled has not ended up in the opposing uh, hands. And that's just a remarkable number. If that sustains on the road against Ohio State and you can get this ground game going a little bit more, it's just going to be a level of, of offensive balance. And I think offensive accountability from a security standpoint that they haven't been able to bring to Columbus in the past. Yeah. I, I think that things are shaping up really well for Drew Aller. I mean, you talk about the, I, I think ideal is a good way to put it, um, you know, where you've had him go on these road environments, not play his best, still come out with a win. You know, we've seen him be, you know, pretty lights out, you know, I think like he was against West Virginia, um, and then some of these home games. And, you know, I think it also goes back a little bit to, 
you know, what you talked about where we haven't had to see him, you know, lead a team down the field with a two minute drill, but it's like, you know, I think that if he had to do that, there would have been much more concerns, you know, for this team than just Drew Aller to be in that situation. Um, you know, it goes back to the whole thing where it's like, you know, well, this team is untested. It's like, well, would you really have wanted to be tested by any of these teams? Would that make you feel right. better? Um, and I think too, the thing that people talk about where it's like, well, how's he going to respond to that first interception? You know, he, he needs to get that out of the way. It's like, no, no, he doesn't because a, it's not his personality. You know, he's not Sean Clifford where, you know, against Minnesota where Clifford goes out, throws an early interception and then comes back and is lights out um, the rest of the way. Maybe he didn't throw an interception in that game, but he was, I think Clifford was shaky early last year in the whiteout before, you know, really turning it on. So, you know, I think that Drew Aller has just shown that, you know, he can, you know, manage a game, um, you know, with his arm, he's made some throws that really suggest that he can win a game. Um, and I think that it's just going to take a, a total team effort um, around him to make that happen. I think that Penn state has done a really, really nice job um, the way, you know, like, you know, it helps have Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. Um, but I think that they've still done a really nice job to structure things so that, you know, it never feels like it's all on Drew Aller. Um, you know, the, the way that they're able to get into third and manageable, you know, it doesn't feel like it's all on Drew Aller to, to make a big throw. Um, I think that they've just set it up very, very nicely for him. And, you know, he is going to face adversity. Um, but I, I, everything that we know about him, um, you know, he's not going to blink. And that just goes back to, to Purdue last year. Um, so I think that that's the quarterback that we're going to see in a hostile environment next weekend. I shortchanged him. I think he had, I think I said he had 14 touchdowns. He's at 15, 12 through the air, three rushing now on the season. He's at 65% completion. He's at 1,250 passing yards thus far. He has 90 of them in the fourth quarter. Uh, <laughs> so that, I mean, that's just where it is right now. And, and so uh, it's going to be fun to follow. I, I'm excited to see this guy, you know, exchanging, you know, exchanging punches with, with, a with a worthy defense down the stretch of a big 10 uh, you know, of a major big 10 matchup. So it's going to be buckle up time. We'll talk about it when we gets there, uh, but really impressive so far from drill. I think the biggest thing was drew Aller and he did take some deeper shots. I mean, it looked like they wanted to take one on that first play of the game, as you referenced, but they did take some downfield shots. They had some touchdowns uh, that, that finally covered some distance today through the air. And so that was good to see, but, that what has been crazy is we're talking about a six foot five, 240 pound, you know, rocket armed quarterback. And a lot of the traits that we have focused on at six and no Daniel aren't really about those things. That's it, been about his decision making, uh, his mental makeup, uh, and also just the, the fact that he has clearly been a guy who's is willing to fight uh, play the next play. He does not doesn't need to be superhero, uh, play by play by play, which some high caliber quarterbacks just because of the way that they've been counted on in the past, they kind of have to be superhero and and they fall into that and they put the pressure on themselves. Aller clearly lets it roll off his shoulders. And it's just, I think the fact that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about his big arm and we haven't spent a, a ton of time discussing what he can do with that when the ball goes further than 20 yards. And yet here they are at six to zero. his numbers look fantastic. And we're talking about him. Uh, having the mental makeup of someone who can help this team get to college football playoff contention. It's a really good spot to be in. And I guess ideal is probably the uh, appropriate <laughs> word to apply to it. 
less than ideal right now for the offensive line because of what's going on at left guard. J.B. Nelson uh, not available today. No surprise there. He was listed as out in the pregame injury report, still working our way to, to learn more about what his situation is, but we haven't seen him in the last couple of practices. He was carted off the field against Northwestern a couple of weeks ago, so stay tuned there. It was Vega Ioane who did get the start at left guard as anticipated, and Salim Wormley at right guard, but it was still kind of a rotational approach. Again, this is where the, the snap counts will be helpful for us, and we'll get into those on our next episode. I think it was still a lot for Ioane and a lot for Wormley and, and less for everybody else, but we saw Nick Dawkins involved during the first half and on in a guard role. Uh, we did not see Caden Wallace end up over there. It was something that we talked about in the pregame. He has been getting some practice work at left guard. He stuck to right, uh, right tackle today. But I thought the couple of my takeaways today uh, were one, Nick Dawkins is to the point and Penn State is at the point where they want to try to give it a go with this rotational approach at guard. Three guys involved there to some degree, even if J.B. Nelson isn't available. I was wondering about that. And then the other was after playing a lot of football through the first three Big Ten matchups, Olu Fashionu got that celebrity treatment again. He got that future top 10 draft pick treatment. I think he probably played about 40 snaps or fewer uh, of the offensive total today. Drew Shelton got a ton of work on the left side, which is a good thing for him. It's good for Penn State to have him prepared because he could have to step up at any moment on either of these tackle spots. But I think it's a really strong move ahead of this matchup against Ohio State to make sure that Olu Fashionu, coupled with a bye week last week, Again, play about 95% of snaps in a three-game stretch against the Big Ten. That 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 light workload early was off the table in Big Ten play. I like this move for Penn State, making this concerted effort to say, Olu, we love you. We love that you want to go out and push people around, but we'd prefer that you stand alongside us here in the sideline and stay healthy. Yeah, I don't think Olu played in the second half. I think that that first offensive line group that came out after halftime had Drew Sheldon at left guard or at left tackle. So, yeah, I think that that really showed, you know, that, you know, put him in bubble wrap, get him to the sideline. But, you know, I thought I talked to Venga Ioane after the game a little bit, um, you know, about that rotation. Um, and, you know, he said that Nick Dawkins has been working hard um, and, you know, and that he deserves to be on the field and that, you know, also that, you know, he likes it personally where, you know, it keeps him fresh throughout throughout the course of the game. Um, you know, I think that that was the first time that we saw Nick Dawkins play, um, you know, guard in the first half of a game. Um, I, I just checked my notes and he played center in the first half against Delaware um, when they were really mixing and matching um, that whole game. And so, you know, I think that those rotations are something that Penn State is really committed to um, on the interior. You know, I think that Caden Wallace has played himself out of the rotation or, you know, played himself above the rotation right. Uh, at right tackle. Um, you know, we're not seeing that anymore. Um, but, you know, Penn State really wants to do it uh, on the interior with, you know, whether it's JB Nelson, Venga Ioane, and Salim Wormley, or if it's Salim Wormley, Venga Ioane, and Nick Dawkins. Um, but, you know, I think that it's another thing too that it builds depth. You know, we saw it last year how deep they had to go. Um, I think that last year might be an outlier uh, in terms of injuries. At the same time, though, Penn State is already down two left guards uh, at this point in the season. Um, but I think that it can only be positive. Um, you know, I think that Nick Dawkins is healthy, and I think that that's done you know wonders for him and just being available, being able to practice, being able to be on the field. Um, and, and you know, and we're seeing Penn State give him a chance, you know, to play play himself into a role. Um, and I think that he's someone too that, you know, you're 
you know, obviously Penn State is focused on this year, but he's someone yeah. that could be a factor next year, you know, and that you might need depending on what happens up front. So, you know, I think that, you know, this offensive line looks pretty good. I mean, Mark Brennan had a great picture of the pocket that Drew Aller was was throwing from at one point, or Grace Brennan had it. Um, so, you know, this is just a, a really solid offensive line. And, you know, I like that they're still trying to rotate guys through, get them seasoning with that top group um, and, you know, be prepared for anything that might happen. They are at four sacks surrendered through six games and they've got 27 sacks defensively, which uh, I'm pretty sure is uh, uh, at the top of the Big Ten leaderboard unless uh, things have changed. I mean, the bye week may have affected that, but wow. I mean, that's a really good disparity right there in terms of what you're allowing. And that, that sack number uh, for them in terms of sacks allowed, you know, I think back to 2021 where they were when the run game wasn't going well. That was that was a pretty ugly sack total number uh, as well. And it will, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, you referenced it. You know, the depth is going to come into play. It's being tested. Last year through six games, we thought we had a good handle on it. You lost Landon Tengwall. You thought, okay, there's your big blow. Well, you lost both your starting tackles <laughs> by the end of by the end of October. And we saw what happened. They won the final five games because they had guys ready to step up. And uh, so we'll find out. We saw Jim D. Ono play some tackle today. We saw Anthony Donka out there, the freshman guard. Andrew, uh, Andrew Rappelier, without Khalil Dinkins available for this team, was actually on the field for, for one of those touchdowns, for, for uh, Drew Aller's touchdown run uh, in that tush-push uh, package. And, and we saw Tamia Robinson, Jameel Lyons out there involved. Jameel Lyons, by the way, at three games now. So this is a, a, a good opportunity to, to kind of work our way through this one between now and our Monday podcast. We'll have our snap counts. I'll have my freshman red shirt tracker, and, and we'll get a good handle on, on what exactly went down over the course of 60 minutes against Northwestern. But of course, a lot of attention now, fully focused. We're kind of reaching a new chapter of the 2023 season, Daniel. Ohio State, Columbus is the destination. It's a noon kickoff on Saturday. Let's finish with this. Coming out of this six-game stretch, Penn State has pulverized everybody. They're 6-0. They're 6-0 against the betting spread. They've had two of those betting spreads of six touchdowns or more, and they handled their business on each occasion. And here we are. Do you think better of their chances to beat Ohio State than you did coming into the season, or are you still right around the same spot as you were? And part of this equation is how are you feeling about the Buckeyes here in mid-October? Yeah, it's I, I think going into the year, I had Penn State at 11-1, and I picked that loss to be against the Buckeyes, um, and and you have, and me both, you yeah, and me both, and to have Penn State beat Michigan at home. Um, but I I think I'm getting closer, you know, to you know being in a position where I'd feel comfortable uh, to pick Penn State um, against Ohio State. Yeah, I want to see how the injury situation uh, you know shakes out for the Buckeyes. Um, I think Amecha Guka didn't play today. Their running backs are banged up. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's Marvin Harrison Jr. out there. There's, you know, got there's talent on defense. You know, Ryan Day and Jim Knowles are both good minds. Um, but you know, I I feel better, I think, you know, now uh for Penn State's chances against Ohio State than I did you know, at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, I think but I think a lot of that has to do with Penn State. Um, you know, I thought the defense would be good this year. I don't really think I thought it would be this good. And this yeah. dominant, um, you know, I thought that Drew Aller would be, you know, a very solid to good Big Ten quarterback. You know, I really didn't think he would be this poised and would, you know, be playing this very, very composed style 
Um, so I think that Penn State goes in just in a very, very solid position uh, in terms of we hadn't we haven't seen anything that really suggests that you know they'll give a game away, um, which as we saw last year, you know ended up being their undoing a little bit. Um, so you know I it's going to be interesting when when Mark Brennan hits us up for for our picks on you know Tuesday night or, or whenever that Moment is. Moment of truth. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to be running. I think I'm going to be running it up to the end, and we're going to be getting those texts like, "Come on, like we're we're waiting." Um, yeah. But it's it's going to be a close one. I'm really interested to see what the spread is that when it opens on Sunday. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a fun week. Yeah. Ohio state did not have much trouble with Purdue today. I know there are some folks that thought they might 41 to seven, uh, the Buckeyes rolled in that matchup, but uh, we'll talk about that uh, upcoming game. Uh, plenty more in this week ahead. We'll get perspective from Columbus on where Ohio state is. There are some injury questions there. As Daniel said, you look at, at the, the path to six and zero and the path to an unbeaten spot right now at the top of the big 10 East. Definitely more wear and tear uh, on the Buckeyes end than what we've seen thus far for Penn State. Part of that is the schedule, certainly. Uh, and then when we look at the Nittany Lions uh, today on the ground, 6.6 yards uh, per rush. Uh, it, it wasn't always pretty. It wasn't always flashy. And, and in the case of Nick Singleton, it hasn't been flashy much this year. Uh, but I think to me, the fact that we're kind of saying, well, if the ground game can take it another level, and that's kind of the, 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 the thing. That's a good spot to be. I thought they'd be in a position going to Columbus where the ground game was like leading the charge and you were hoping that your kid quarterback, you know, was going to be able to kind of stay within the guardrails and be able to deliver the ball. I think right now you're not taking the kid quarterback to Columbus, at least not based on what we've seen so far from Drew Aller. And that's a very positive thing. And I think the question to me is, is that wide receiver group? You know, are they ready to go? and show up in a big stage and make some big plays. And Drew Aller is going to need to trust them in some key moments deep into this contest. And again, don't want to get too far down the road here talking about Ohio State versus, versus Penn State. We're further down than the Penn State players were and, and then James Franklin was tonight in post game. Uh, but we'll table that for the moment. We'll say good night. Daniel, appreciate the perspective from you. Always fun sharing a, a seat alongside you in Beaver Stadium. We'll do it a few more times this season. But we're at the halfway point. This team is unbeaten. They did it impressively tonight, 63 nothing. Definitely. You know, we only get we're only guaranteed 12 of these a year. We're through six of them right now. It's it's been a lot of fun, and I'm really excited for this back half of the season. Well, they officially punched their ticket for game number 13 with oh, true. win number six. <laughs> they are bowl eligible, but I don't think that's really gonna move the meter much for people <laughs> this year. Bowl eligibility, six and oh, long way to go. Big game week ahead at lines247.com. There is some recruiting stuff happening as well coming out of a home matchup. So Tyler Calvaruso has you covered for that at lines247.com. We're back with another episode Monday to break this one down a bit more, start to turn our attention towards the Buckeyes, and then a big week ahead, as I said. Thanks to Daniel. Thanks to everyone for listening. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.